In today's episode, I was blessed to share time with the insightful Reverend Sheila Kincaid. We discussed how embracing righteous indignation and anger can be a pathway to healing for women who've suffered abuse. Drawing from strength from biblical heroines, Reverend Kincaid debunks the myth that forgiveness equates to forgetfulness. It is an empowering take on finding grace and comfort in God's love. So tune in and enjoy. The therapist's job is to help you to find your own answers and to right. be loving and accepting. But a pastor's job is a bit different. A pastor's job is to impart the word of God to you and salvation. Mm -hmm. And you have to be directive in that. This is Sheila's Take, a podcast where you can hear my take on everything. Love, hate, relationships, family, and today's issues with a godly perspective. I'm your host, Sheila Dunbar. Thank you for joining me. Hello, uh, welcome back to Sheila's Take. And I have the pleasure of welcoming Reverend Cheryl Kincaid as my special guest. Reverend Kincaid is a Presbyterian minister with an extensive experience in Christian ministry, including facilitating support groups for women who have suffered abuse and working in group homes. But with a passion for sharing the story of God's comforting, rede redeeming grace, Reverend Kincaid has also authored four published books. Her works dive into a range of topics from using Charles, Dick Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol to explore the gospel to creating child-friendly devotionals like The Little Clay Pot and The Little Candle That Was Frightened of the Dark. Additionally, Reverend Kincaid's book, Carrie's Thorn, offers a coming-of-age tale centered on a young girl in foster care. Her recent publication, A Forgotten Door Called Home, serves as a compelling sequel to Carrie's Thorn. So please welcome me in welcoming Reverend Cheryl Kincaid to Sheila's Take. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for asking me on. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, it was a, it's a pleasure to have you. And uh, I saw your story and I was very interested in it. And, uh, and I'd like to share it, your journey with my listeners. So again, welcome. And um, let's jump right into it. Okay, very good. Okay. So I know that you, you, you know, you're a Presbyterian minister, but can you share a bit about your journey from studying marriage and family therapy to becoming a Presbyterian minister? Yeah, I mean, it, I wanted to be a, one of the reasons I wanted to be a therapist is I was, I went to churches that didn't believe women could preach or teach. But also I had a violent childhood and mm -hmm. I um, was ministered a great deal too by therapists. And I wanted to return that ministry. Um, and at this time I was going to a church that was started by denomination. It was uh, that was started by a woman. It was the assemblies of God and Amy McPherson started mm -hmm. the denomination, but they did not believe women could teach or preach. Wow. But at any rate, while I, I got in a car accident and happened to be with a member of that church and the pastor kind of came in my room and said that, you know, you can't sue um, because she's a member of the church. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, tried to argue it with him. And he said, I said, can we take it before the church board? Because I grew up in a Presbyterian church where the, where the church is really run by the session. And he said, well, the board, no women are allowed on it. And that was like, no girls yeah. allowed, like a big door slamming. 
So I had to leave that church, but I had almost died in the car accident. And I remember thinking, life's just too short not to do what you know God is calling you to do. Mm -hmm. And I remembered I had that situation where you, where everything goes through your mind, where you think you're going to die and you're going to go into a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remembered having lunch with my niece, Tisha. I remembered um, playing with my sisters in the backyard. And I remembered sharing my faith with someone at San Diego State. And I said, you know, God, that's what I want to do. Knowing now that life's really short, um, you show me how I can do it. And so I changed from uh, Masters of, of um of counseling to a master's of divinity. I was going to a seminary anyway. Mm-hmm. And I, I started my, my long ordination trek and it's been a joyous ride. It's been wonderful to be um, an intimate part of people knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and savior. Mm. As a therapist, you cannot be directive. And I agree with that. If you go into a therapist's office, the therapist's job is to help you to find your own answers and to right. be loving and accepting but a pastor's job is a bit different. A pastor's job is to impart the word of God to you and salvation. Mm-hmm. And you have to be directive in that. And so um, it's been a better fit. I'm celebrating 20 years of ministry. Yay. And the joy of my life. So um, oh, it wasn't a mistake to do that. Yeah, no. It's never, it's never a mistake when you have your calling. When God leads you to something, it's never a mistake. He doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> Amen. 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 Um, mm -hmm. And your work with support groups for women who have suffered abuse. What did you learn about the power of God's redeeming grace and healing? Well, I learned a lot about how we stop God's power of of healing in our life. Um, You know, as Christian women, we've been taught, unfortunately, to forgive and forget too much Mm -hmm. and to put up. And that's not necessarily in the Bible. (laughs) we have some very strong women in the Bible who just Mm -hmm. don't put up with things, but change the course of history um, because they're obedient and courageous. So Esther Esther for one, Esther for one, Deborah for another. Yes. Lydia for another in the new Testament and prophecies for another. And you want to go to church history. We got um, Claire of Assisi who set up the first nursing um, nursing profession uh, uh, as a nun. And mm-hmm. then you've got uh, Amy McPherson who started the Pentecostal church. Wow. Um, wow. You know, I can go on and on about yeah. Harriet Tugman and, and her, her gift of prophecy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Fanny Crosby, who started special education classes. She's the hymn writer that wrote Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, wrote over 800 hymns. Most of them are attributed to men. Because mm-hmm. no one believed a blind woman could write them. Wow. So a lot of women have done courageous things because mm-hmm. they realized they were created in God's image and deserved to be treated with a certain amount of respect. But the church that I grew up in did not teach that. We had focused so much on that that your mere purpose in life. I remember my seventh grade Sunday school class was to train us to be godly wives. Wow. And even then I was reading my Bible and I read that the spiritual gifts were given to both men and women. Mm-hmm. And I read about Lydia and I read about um, other people in the Bible. And I said, this is not what I'm reading in scripture. Right. Um, the, the passages that kept coming back to me was the, uh, the passage in Genesis and God created man in his image, male and female, he made them. Mm-hmm. So this sense of equity 
that that they were both given stewardship over the earth, that they were both given um, the the desire, the great commission to preach the gospel. Right. So God was was molding me even then. Um, but what we learned, what I one of the things we encouraged women is first of all to talk about it. The Bible says, "Confess your sins one to another, that you may be healed." Mm-hmm. And there's power in putting words to things. And there are several times in the book of Matthew. When Jesus has brought a demon-possessed person and he asks, the first question he asks is, what is your name? Mm-hmm. And you, before you can heal it, you have to name it. Right. Ooh, and um, support groups were a way that women could name it. And oftentimes the women that I visited or visited with me, when they first even whisper it, someone would cut them off and say, but have you forgiven? And that was the the primary uh, uh, the primary goal. And it would shut her up. So I just for a second, if I can beg your indulgence, I'd like to define the difference between forgiveness and denial. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, for, forgiveness takes place when you realize that someone has wronged you. And in order to realize that someone has wronged you, you have to realize how dangerous they are. Mm-hmm. If they're not repentant, they will wrong you again. Again, yes. The response to forgiveness is caution. Now, Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But he, the scripture also says that Jesus said, but he did not trust them, for he knew the hearts of men. Mm-hmm. And that word is the hearts of people. Mm-hmm. So Jesus didn't hand out his trust to everyone. Um, denial says what happened to you was not that bad or worse. It was deserved or that you played a role in it. And denial hushes the voice of caution. By telling, by warning the Christian woman that she dare not be bitter. The worst thing in the world is for her to be bitter. Mm, yeah. So in my book, Carrie's Thorn, she has a friend named Maloney and they get in a fight and, and, and Carrie's saying to her, well, either you're going to be better or bitter. And she says, so I just have two choices. Isn't there somewhere in between? And I think Christian women need to learn that. There's a lot of places in between. Yeah. Um, the prophets exercise something called righteous anger jeremiah was angry at the people for the way they treated the children mm-hmm. yes. and the widow and the poor ones in their midst and the way they mistreated people in slavery he was angry at them um uh, hosea was angry at the people for their immorality and the way they treated women and we can be angry about our abuse it doesn't mean we're in sin and mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we haven't forgiven and it doesn't mean that we're bitter it just means that we're human. I don't think women are given the right to be human. We, we have this um, image of Proverbs 31, an image that we cannot <laughs> ever live up to that's put on us. I know. You know yeah. I, I don't know if you've read Pride and Prejudice. But that's the book that all us women have read. But I love this one line in it. And it's and then most of it, they keep it in the movies. But Lizzie's over the, in a... In a um, having tea in a room of people that are richer than her and snubbing her off. And they're talking about the qualities of what is a good woman. And one person says she must know foreign languages. She, there must be something in the way she walks and mm-hmm. talks. And then uh, Mr. Darcy kind of likes Liz, tries to defend her. And, and he says, and she must be intelligent too and improve her mind by reading. And Lizzie closes her book and says, I've never seen such a woman. And if she's a, and if she existed, she'd be a horrible thing to behold. Yeah. And I think we've yeah. taken Proverbs 31 and made it a horror to behold. Mm. We 
no one can, we, we want women to homeschool, stay at home, never fight with their husbands and make their own mayonnaise on the side. You know, <laughs> most of us can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Go and, do all that. Yeah. 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 But first, we're humans. So I think of right. Sojourner Truth. She's one of my heroes. She was a woman who was enslaved, who became mm -hmm. a great preacher. And one of her sermons, even though she couldn't read or write, she had a lot of the scriptures memorized, was, am I not a human? Am I not a human being? And she asked the question again and again. Mm. And she was not just fighting for abolition, but she was also fighting for the rights of women. Right. Yeah. Definitely. And in a church, I'd like to say that to my brothers. Are we not human? Don't we get, if you cut us, don't we bleed? If you slap us, don't we get angry? Don't we have the right to be angry when right. we're being insulted from the pulpit? And being, uh, I heard jokes about um, mouthy women all the way up to my 20s. And I'm hearing them less now, praise God, but it could be because I go to different churches now. Right, right. Wow. But um, the reality is, is what I learned in, in, to go back to your original questions about mm -hmm. healing is that first of all, we've got to um, that there's great healing in being angry and intolerant of sin in your life of exposing the abuser mm -hmm. um, in Ephesians 5, 10 through 12. Um, the scripture says, um, determine what pleases the Lord and have nothing to do with the unfruitful actions, the darkness, produces instead expose them for who they are and um women christian women have been taught to cover it up cover it up just That's say better. it's oh he's just a human he can't help it yeah no we all can help it and we do better if people hold us accountable so i learned there was empowerment embracing the wounded child empowerment and being angry about the abuse an empowerment of realizing that you're created in God's image and deserve to be something better. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to walk out of violent situations. And God gave me that, that joy, that ministry. I was in there from, I did it from 19. I'm going to show how old I am from 1986 mm -hmm. to 1993. Wow. And, and one year I, I facilitated a support group for women coming out of prostitution, but it was a great empowerment for me. Mm -hmm. But they let Christian women be angry. Yeah. And let them know that they're created in God's image and they don't have to put up with anyone else's trash. Ooh, yeah, that's, oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> now you also work with uh, support groups for women who have suffered abuse. What, what did you, um, what did you learn about the, um, shape of understanding God's comforting and grace in the midst of imperfection. Well, one of the things that we understand is that God's heart is with the oppressed. Mm -hmm. And again and again in the Bible, especially in gospels, Jesus's heart is with the oppressed. Yeah. Um, yeah. The woman, the woman who came to him in constant bleeding, this is in a forgotten door called home. I, I worked it in, but the word of bleeding that she was having was flow, which meant, menstruation yeah and women who had constant menstruation which was a hormonal imbalance were considered to have sinned and they were not allowed to touch anyone or be around anyone, be anyone. right yeah. so here she was in a crowd where everybody was pressing in on jesus and jesus calls her out his heart is to tell everyone that she's nothing to be ashamed of this is mm -hmm. your problem not hers yeah, yeah. Um, and God's heart is with the oppressed. And, and when Israel was punished, they were punished 
because they were not taking care of the oppressed within their midst. And God was very clear about that, that if you, um, you know, the song, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, mm -hmm. he strapped off the vintage, was taken from Isaiah 5 and 6. I talk about this in hearing the gospel through Dickens, a Christmas carol. But uh, where, the, where the grapes of wrath are stored. So what was that talking about? Well, Julia Howell had visited a prisoner who was an abolitionist. He visited a prisoner war camp and they were singing John Brown's body lies uh, a rolling in the grave. Mm -hmm. She she said, there's got to be better words for that tune. But she was thinking of Isaiah 5 and 6, where it said the nation um, was putting up with injustice, that there was blood on their hands for the innocents that were slaughtered. And he says, so I'm going to look at my vineyard and the vineyard of where the grapes are, are growing, and I'm going to take down the walls of it and let the foxes come and ruin it. And then you'll learn that you have to produce good grapes. Right. Mm -hmm. And the good grapes are grapes of justice. And she believed the Civil War was brought upon this country because of the racism that backed up the institution of slavery. And it's a, it's a, it was, the song is a tough warning. Mm -hmm. And I wish people would listen to the words instead of singing it victoriously, because she's saying things are going to go bad in this nation unless you take care of the oppressed. Um, they're powerful words. So God's heart is with the oppressed. And I always tell people mm -hmm. that um, I've told women more than often, the reason Jesus gets accused of, of being with prostitutes. And I think he was there because he knew about the pain. Um, going through. Yeah. Yeah. He knows about the exploitation. So first of all, God's heart is with the oppressed. Second of all, the, the, the empowerment of the gospel is there's always repentance. Mm -hmm. If yeah. a man has a pattern of being violent, he should think, and I know this, they don't want to hear this, but he should think about being celibate for a while till he gets to the end of that. Finds out why is he being violent? Because um, that's not going to solve overnight, and it's not going to solve by some spiritual experience. He's got to work with where are the seeds of that anger. Yeah, where's and if a, yes, and mm -hmm. I would say the same thing to a woman that finds herself in a pattern of being violated. Maybe you should back off from dating just for a little while. Yeah, do you figure out why do these guys turn you on? I think the great message of Christianity that I love is that we don't believe in karma which means that what goes around comes around. We believe what you sow, you shall reap. Mm -hmm. So in other words, that we have some power in what we sow. It's not amount, it's not amount that we're determined to do something. We have, we have decisions and God can help us to make better decisions, but he can heal the hurt and the horrible things that were said to um, women when they were children, the horrible things that were done. There's healing to be found in Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Um, and in prayer, but the church has got to stop beating them up with the word submission and forgiveness. And forgiveness. Yes. Wow. Wow. You mentioned, uh, and I want to talk about that briefly a little bit. You mentioned the the book you wrote regarding Charles Dickens, uh, Hearing the Gospel Through Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. And by yes. the way, that won you like, a, what was it, a 2013 independent Christian Publishers Illumination Reward for Bible study? Did I get yeah. it right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you did. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. What inspired you to explore the connection between, because when I heard this, I'm like, well, that's interesting, between Dickens' story and the gospel message. Well, you know, Dickens won my heart when I was a little girl because my dad 
he was a uh, he was abusive and he also was an alcoholic but he was a book salesman so okay. when he got back into prison, we had all these books that he mm-hmm. sold. And one of them, we had Goya books, and they and it was the um the story of Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. And so I read a purpose of Oliver Twist that said that that um that Charles Dickens' father was in jail and he was in jail with his father. So he was in debtor's prison. And so he won my heart because here he was, this great talent who had been as a kid forced to be in jail with his dad mm-hmm. and that, and he understood poverty. Then when I read his books, as someone who grew up on welfare and food insecure and also borderline houseless most of the time, um, not everyone understands poverty. They just don't get it. And they don't understand the pattern and how hard it is to get out of it. Even after you make money, how yeah. hard it is to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, once it's got you, it it's got you in some ways. So a lot of Dickens' books was about uh, money because his mm-hmm. father was raised um, was raised in a mansion as the son of a steward. So remember Downton Abbey? He was yes. the son of one of the servants, and the lord of the of the mansion took pity on John Dickens, Charles's father, mm-hmm. and educated him. So John Dickens had all the taste of a rich man and none of the money of it. So the family got in trouble again and again. He'd spend all the money and Mm -hmm. the bill collectors would be knocking at the door. So Charles Dickens did a lot of good for humanity um, in fighting for a minimum wage. And also he wasn't in fighting against um, children being exploited in the the factories. So when I, I, I read his books, but every Christmas we would walk to our church, which was about a mile and a half mm-hmm. away, walk home for the, it was a nine o'clock service. It'd be very late when we got home. And I would watch the black and white version with Alistair Sims, um, Charles Dickens. Yeah, uh, I, I think I do remember the black and white version. Yes. That's uh, really good. So anyway, yeah. um, I knew there was something religious about it, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Mm-hmm. And I just saw the symbols again and again. And at that time, I was kind of a theater nut. So I I started to outline the symbols. And then when I was in seminary, I started to study the history of Advent and found out that the lessons of Advent go with each spirit. Mm. And so I wrote the book and I wrote a little bit about Dickens' history and wrote a little bit about the evolution of the celebration of Christmas, which is Christ Mass, Mm -hmm. Christ being born in your heart today. And um, of what I wanted to what I wanted to teach through the lesson is I wanted to use it as a Bible study, um, but also as a as the hypothesis that maybe the um, maybe the the lessons of of Advent inspired Charles Dickens because at that time there was a couple things going on that he was very mad at. There was something called the poor man's laws, mm-hmm. and the poor man's laws were laws that's uh, based on something called a cash nexus theory which was a very cruel theory that said that the world has too many people. So the only way that we can live as a civilized society is we need to get rid of some people. So let the poor die off in the prison and the workhouses. So remember the line, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Mm -hmm. Dickens heard someone say that on the floor of parliament. And see, and in, in the Anglican prayer book, all the scriptures are taken from the book of Isaiah. And they're the scriptures about how you treat the poor. 
And I think this was Charles Dickens taking a swipe at the church for supporting the poor laws. And the church wardens were put in charge of the poor houses. And at first it was, they were put there to show compassion to the poor, but it got so they could punish the poverty out of the poor. Mm. That never ever works. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you someone who's worked in a shelter, it just doesn't work. The problems of poverty are complex. Yeah. Um, they're really complex and they're not, it's not as if people who don't have enough money don't already work hard. But if you don't have a car and you're taking the bus late at night, if you do have children early, you can't support them on the minimum wage that's on no. now. Yeah. Uh, so there are reasons people stay poor and, and poverty is generational. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk, and that was Charles Dickens' conviction as well. So I wanted to talk about my issues. I wanted to preach to the church myself. Um, I had seen in my lifetime kind of a meanness of spirit come toward poor people. Uh, when I was first in 1976, 1978, Jimmy Carter came into power. Mm -hmm. And it seemed that after that was the Reagan years and there became this intolerance, almost rage against the poor. There was um, this myth of the welfare queen, which the vast majority of people are that on welfare are not that. Mm -hmm. In fact, statistically, 98% um, of all people on welfare will get off within three years. We don't hear that at election time, do we? No. No one wants to talk about that. But three years is about the time it takes to take you, if you have a baby, to get that baby to a place where you can get them in preschool. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I wanted to, I wanted to preach to the church about the animosity um, toward the poor because Bob Cratchit is the, is the main character and he has a minimum wage job that doesn't make enough. His children are in service, which doesn't make enough. Right. And Tiny Tim is wounded. Um, and you wonder where the wound came from. Well, uh, there was like 75% of all kids that were, worked in textile factories got leg wounds because that was the only way they could stop the looms was to hold up their leg to stop the loon and there were needles in that and mm -hmm. it gave them infection and dickens was fighting not not just to he he wanted the he wasn't going to take away the right for the children to work because they really mm -hmm. wanted to right. work but what he wanted to do was to provide for clean water for people to wash the wounds and medical care for the children when they got sick and um, Dickens talks about open sewage in all his books. And in um, in Little Dorrit, he talks the unearthly smell of the sewage in, in Little Dorrit. And in uh, it's called in Oliver Twist, the murk and the mire. Um, but he doesn't use the word sewage because he's a Victorian man. And that's like a dirty word. Mm -hmm. But that's what he's talking about. Um, Victor Hugo talks about open sewage in his book, Les Miserables. Um, and he's French, so he has no problem talking about it. <laughs> but um, at any rate, I wanted I wanted to talk about that when I I want to talk about being kind to the poor is not secular humanism. That term started to be thrown around. Mm -hmm. That indeed Christ was kind to the poor. Mm -hmm. He calls us to the golden rule yeah. that we do unto others as they would have as as we would have done to us yes. and mm -hmm. in that law we have to say we can say it's not my child but in that law the golden rule we have to say but it's somebody's, somebody's child. child yeah and also I that, to say that 
Yeah, it's somebody's child. Yes, that child, male or female, is created in God's image, and I, as a Christian, must treat them at a certain level. So, yeah, um, I was surprised I got that award because it was a very conservative award, um, but they liked my Bible study, and I'm just blessed that they liked it. And so, yeah, you can get it at Cambridge Scholars, which is on my website. But you have a, the other book I saw was the the little clay plot pot. And it's a, a children's devotional based on Jeremiah 18, right? Yeah. And, yes. and if my listeners not, are not aware of what Jeremiah 18, it's about um, the God telling Jeremiah, who's the prophet, uh, to go to a potter's house. And he and um, that's pretty much the story. He instructs him to go to a potter's house to, to observe how a potter is molding and shaping clay. It's a metaphor, but... Um, uh, but how do, how, what message or lessons do you hope young readers take away from this book? Yeah, well, essentially the lesson from Jeremiah 18, that when your life falls apart, because the clay falls apart, mm-hmm. the potter gently says, can I not make something different mm. from the clay? Not better, not worse, just different. It's different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I think that we think sometimes redemption means that we should God will create something and will have no scars. You know, Jesus kept his scars after he yeah. was dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, there's an old Pentecostal hymn that says, somewhere in the shadows you'll find him. He's the only one that cares and understands. Somewhere in the shadows you'll see Jesus mm. and you'll know him by the nail prints in his hands. Yeah. The fact that Jesus has scars, we serve a God with scars is a mm-hmm. wonderful message. Yeah, it's a wonderful message of the gospel. But yeah, um, that's that yeah. we may have scars mm-hmm. um, when God redeems us. And there may be some things that will be changed by a crime that happens to us or by an abusive situation or by an accident. But God can make something different. That's just as beautiful. Just mm-hmm. different. Yeah, just different. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. OK, Um Let's go to Carrie's Thorn, which is a coming of age book about a girl in foster care. Yes. Um, now, I know we talked offline about this, but what, what inspired you to write this story? And what messages do you hope to convey through Carrie's journey? Well, it came up one night when I was facilitating my support group, Growing Through the Pain, mm-hmm. that we were talking about that whenever incest survivors were portrayed on TV or even in Christian movies, they were always neurotics or they were enraged and, and abusive or they were worse prostitutes. And the storyline in Christian movies was, but then she forgives and everything's wonderful. Or then she... Um, or then she accepts Christ and everything's wonderful. And everything's wonderful, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I wanted to write a story about a girl who is a Christian when the abuse happens. And then her struggle is not with forgiveness. Her struggle was, is with what most of us struggle with. When she's of age and she, it's time to start dating, um, where do I draw the boundaries with men? Um, when is it a f- abusive? And when is it um, just normal romantic relationship? And also... Um, what dealing with PTSD, what do I do when I have nightmares in the middle of the night? Yeah. And where was God doing the abuse and how do I forgive my parents? Cause I love my parents. I don't want to be away from them and yet not put up with their behavior. And that's kind of, it's, it's about a girl who's in foster care. She goes to foster care because she tells her mother doesn't quite forgive her for it. Um, she goes to a church and she's trying to grow up. 
and she's got this big gaping scar, which is like uh, the Apostle Paul's thorn. And she's trying to learn how God's grace can be sufficient in that mm -hmm. thorn. And I may, I write her as normal as I, as most survivors are. It's one out of every three. So we're not all walking around like prostitutes or walking around as man haters. We're just normal people trying to deal with the idea because if you're a Christian, you believe in a sovereign God. Mm -hmm. Why does the sovereign God allow this to happen? And every Christian has to deal with that at one yeah. time. Yeah. But if you come from a violent situation or from childhood trauma, you have to deal with it rather early. Um, praise God for childlike faith that helps you to overcome it. Mm -hmm. But um, it is it is something that you revisit for the rest of your life. So Carrie's Thorns about a young woman who learns empowerment and about the people around her who help teach her empowerment. And can you tell us a little bit about your recent book, um, A Forgotten Door Called Home? That's a sequel to Carrie's Thorn, right? Yeah. So Carrie's Thorn is about the foster care. Her and her mm -hmm. best friend, Lelone, um, are in foster care. And uh, uh, Forgotten Door Called Home is about now they've aged out of the system and they both return home to their homes and they're trying to make a home. And mm. it's about them stepping into womanhood um, with this background of, of not having a home. And it revisits some of the topics of the first book, but it, I also go into a little bit more about the Secondary characters, Isabella, who's from Guatemala, and her mother, who was an immigrant, who suffered generational abuse in the fields, and mm -hmm. um, and just what that meant for them as they as they try to figure uh, figure out how to find their footing, and Lalone, who's from uh, um, who's from Hawaii originally, her mother, who suffered in the missionary schools. And how does she hang on to her faith knowing that there was abuse that happened in missionary schools? Mm -hmm. So it's the same subject of how do we separate the pain from the reality and how do we embrace this Christianity in a flawed world? How has your own faith journey influenced your passion for storytelling and sharing God's redemptive grace? Just, I've always been a storyteller since mm -hmm. I was a little girl. We had nine brothers and sisters, so I used to love to tell stories. And there, were, I remember a couple of times when the electricity went off, and that's how I'd entertain my brothers and sisters so they wouldn't be scared because we couldn't pay the bill. We turn on a flashlight in the middle of the living room, and I tell them stories. You tell them stories. Just make up stories, you know. <laughs> and they weren't they weren't terribly excited, but they loved them. And I loved reading to them mm -hmm. um, the classics, Peter Pan, the the original right. book, not the Disney version. And um, reading a, a jungle book to them, that kind of stuff. So stories were a big, important part of my life. It was a little bit of a struggle because I have dyslexia. Um, oh, okay. And so it's been a struggle to get the grant. Uh, I always have good editors that help fill in the words that I leave out. Mm -hmm. and when I, when I um, flip words, when I flip um, uh, part of participles or I forget something, so it's been a blessing that the editors I've had. So, but I've always wanted to tell people about how God saved me. I mean, I heard a voice in the middle of the night saying, God is love. Mm. Um, and I've always loved to hear the story of how God saves other people. And that's the joy of being a minister is you do get to sit by deathbeds and hear people how Jesus became their Lord, the Lord and how Savior. strong it is now at this crucial hour. Yeah. So it's a um, using stories to tell just it seemed like it was a natural fit. I didn't want to write my own story because my mother's still alive. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think it's hard enough for her that I'm just saying that this happened to me, but I, I won't write that till, till she goes on to glory mm -hmm. simply because it's just, it's too much. Yeah. But I, I, I thought if I could take a compilation of a lot of women's stories and my story and put them together, uh, I use the word carry for um, Job's second daughter um, was called Karen Hepok. In the Hebrew, that means um, prayer, the incense that's used in prayer. Mm. And so I wanted a picture of someone whose life was a prayer, like, God, I need you to fix this because wow. I can't fix it. Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Wow. Lastly, what are you grateful for? Yeah, I'm grateful for my profession. I'm grateful that I did that I don't live in poverty currently. I can say I, I have a nice little house, very modest, but nice. I have a good job. I can I can buy groceries. Um, I'm grateful for my nieces and nephews who are growing up in more healthy homes than we did. Um and abuse does have a way of trickling down, mm -hmm. but yeah. they have moms and dads who talk about it. So it's easier. Um, and grateful for the desire to, to preach the gospel. I'm so thankful for you, uh, thank Reverend you. Kate. I thank you for coming on Sheila's Take and blessing us with uh, your knowledge and uh, your grace and and you are just a wonderful person and I thank you for that and I thank you that you continue you know doing your work and and, and empowering women because that's what you're doing you know I, I also want to say that if there's anything that is anything I could ever do you know if you ever want to come back on Sheila's take so we could talk about other things you are definitely welcome because um, you are wealth of, of information and we need more people out there to do what you're doing, to let women know that, Hey, we, we, we don't always have to just forgive. And like you said, we can be angry, you know, mm -hmm. the, that that's the only way we're going to heal. If we have to go through that process. Yes. So thank you. Um, if you can just uh, tell my listeners your website so they can uh, get your books. And sure. My website is just Rev, R-E-V, without a dot, then Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L, Kincaid, K-I-N-C-A-I-D, dot com. And if you click on it, you'll get direct links to Amazon.com where most of my books are. But for hearing the gospel, you need to get a link that goes directly to Cambridge Scholars because it's it's published in the UK um, and they don't like using Amazon. Mm. So go ahead and, and click on that and you'll get not only that, but you'll get interviews of the books, uh, uh, interviews of me talking about the books and um, as well as you'll get uh, a little bit of my history. My other, my other website is dickensandchristianity.com. And that is a story that, that kind of tells the life story of Charles Dickens and what his faith journey was. So if you want to check that out, yeah. I recommend I'm going to check that out. That I'm yeah. definitely going to check out because that I, I was not familiar with too much about with, with his history and Christianity. So I'm definitely going to check that out. But again, thank you, Reverend Cheryl Kincaid for being a guest on Sheila's Take. And uh, please, I, I definitely got to have you back again.
<laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Join me next time where I will continue to discuss more of today's issues. I'm your host, Sheila Dunbar. Blessings to you.